It's March 23rd, 2007, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. It's great to have you back. Today's guest is Joe Ferrace, and that name should be familiar to you, if, particularly if you're a regular reader of some of the photo magazines out, out there, particularly Shutterbug Magazine, where, where Joe has a couple of columns that uh, appear on a monthly basis. But he's also written for a host of other magazines and was the original editor for the E-Digital Photo Magazine. And he's also the author of over 30 books and more than 1,600 magazine articles. But it's Joe's passion for automobiles that uh, caused me to to want to interview him for the show. A lot of a lot of students that I have often ask me how you develop a particular style, and I often ask them, "What are you interested in besides photography?" And you know, and depending on what they tell me, that usually is something that I feel like telling them, "Hey." Turn your lens to that subject. And in Joe's case, it's cars. He's passionate about cars. He loves cars. And uh, he's been shooting them for years. And he's made a career out of uh, photographing automobiles in a variety of different ways and, and writing about them. And I thought it'd be a really good topic for, for the show to, to discuss that. Because I know a lot of you out there you know, are searching for a style or, or, or trying to find some way of being able to have a little breakthrough photographically. And I think that finding something that you're really passionate about, besides the camera and those lenses, that, that, that will help you find your way as a photographer. So I hope you enjoy this interview and uh, sit back and enjoy our conversation with Joe Ferres. Okay, well, well let, let's get started here. Okay. And um, welcome to the show. It's 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 great to have you. It's been too long since I had a chance to talk to you. Well, that's for sure. But uh, tell me about your beginnings. I know you had a degree um, from John Hopkins University as well as Maryland. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I started that life as an engineer. I worked in telecommunications as an engineer. And I like a lot of uh, photographers who got their start by being assistants or working in studios, I was able to make a transfer within the company I worked in from uh, working as an engineer to going into the uh, the marketing department as a photographer. As I worked for 13, 14 years as an in-house photographer, and uh, that's kind of where I honed my skills of working with people on all kinds of projects under all kinds of deadlines with, uh, unlike a lot of clients, so I'm too busy to take that, that job. I got to do something else. Well, here, there were no, you couldn't be too busy. You had to take the job. So it was, yeah. it was a real, it was a great learning experience because there was lots of pressure and long hours involved. But now I was younger. I was in love with what I was doing, so it wasn't so bad. It was a great way to to get into professional photography, really. Yeah, and there's, and there's so much to learn, but there's not no better environment than to learn in than when you're just forced to just do it. Yes, just looking through when you do points. it, yeah. No excuses. We got to have it by this date, uh, and that's it. So what was what was the kind of stuff that you were doing early on? It was a real mixture because uh, 
it would run for people photography, people at work, uh, some hardware photography, some product shots, uh, that kind of stuff, you know, uh, the lawn location in the studio, very, very, uh, like initially there was no staff at all, you know, I was it, and uh, I had to do everything, and ultimately by the time I left there in 81, uh, we got up to like six uh, six people with uh, some full-time, some part-time. Mm. But we were doing quite a lot, lot of volume. And uh, that was back in the film days where... So we did. We had set up a small lab and we were doing our own, some of our black and white there. And so there was a whole different world when, we, when everyone was working in film and working in digital. The whole methodology is so different. Yeah. And... Uh, so what led you so it was to... kind of that was the thing. It was a uh, it was a little bit of everything. We never knew. It kind of like it's kind of like my life today. I, I really never know what I'm going to be doing until the phone rings. Well, it could be you, it could be somebody else saying, "Hey, uh, I need to get a picture of this." I was like, "Geez, I never did that before. That'd be fun." And that's a, a you know I think one of your strengths is the ability to be that that diverse because oftentimes you know when people identify themselves as being a photographer they're maybe just a wedding photographer or a portrait photographer. Oh, you know that when I I taught at uh, the, the Palm Beach workshops and uh, people come up to me all the time and say, "What do you do?" You know, and, and they wanted like this simple answer. Oh, I'm a photojournalist. You know. I'm an adventure photographer. I do sports. And, you know, I, I, I didn't have an answer. I felt really kind of inadequate. Like, no, I just take pictures. You know, I, all kinds of pictures. It kind of depends on where we're going with it. And uh, the whole time I was there, I, I just felt like I needed to have a handle, and I could not come up with one that satisfied people. Usually, the nice thing about it was it usually generated to kind of a nice conversation about what I do and and how it work. Yeah, I think we're cut from the same cloth from there because it's like, you know, I, I shoot a whole variety of things and I really don't identify myself as a particular type of photographer. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, I think, you know, a lot of really great photographers, even though they may get known for a particular body of work or a particular style of photography, they're often able to create great images of a wide variety of subjects. I think we're just, you know, in a culture that's used to, you know, placing niches, you know. Or, yeah, I think uh, people, some people just think of me as a car photographer, and that's certainly one of my passions, but it's certainly not the only thing I do. Well, tell me about that, because I know that's a big part of, you, about, of your work, is for photographing cars, but you were well into cars even before you picked up the camera, right? Uh, I've been involved with cars, car racing for, jeez, uh, they almost went together. It's this funny thing. is that My first published photographs were for a, uh, a magazine back in Maryland. Uh, now I'm trying to think of when this was. <laughs> yeah, I, let's see. I always really think by thinking in terms what car was I driving at the time. So i got, I got to imagine it was around the early 70s because I was driving a, a 71 Porsche 914 and I was involved with a racing team. We raced a, a, a Datsun, which is what they used to call Nissans, um, Datsun 2000. And I would be going to races as a racer, and then a, a local magazine asked me to take photos and write stories. And I remember we were talking about uh, way pre-digital. 
So they all, and the, the races were on Sunday. The magazine's deadline was uh, Sunday night or Monday morning. So the way it would work is uh, the only way I could shoot pictures that I could give them that day was using Polaroid. So I shot black and white Polaroids because it was a black and white publication. And on the way back from the racers, I would the races, I would sit in the car and write the story mm. in pencil <laughs> on a piece of paper, and then deliver them either that night or first thing the next morning to to the publisher's office. And that's kind of how I got into both. Yeah, I guess I was a racer before I was uh, photographing cars, and that's how I really got started in photographing race cars. But I like all kinds of cars, not just uh, sports cars or race cars. Yeah, Classic. That brings up the whole idea because I think the, I think recently I was asked a question uh, about finding your own sort of versatile style or niche, and you know my response is, well, find something that you're really passionate about that you really love, and yes. sort of photograph that. And you're a perfect that example is of that. Exact- yeah, that's a, yeah, that is exactly the truth. Is the thing you're most passionate about, whether it's you know flowers or wildlife or nature, it doesn't really matter what it is. But uh, don't photograph what you think you should be photographing, but photograph what you love. And for me, when back in the '70s, it was cars, and it still is to some extent. What is it about cars that you really respond to, particularly you know, <clears throat> photographically? I know what it's like. You know what it must be like you to be behind the wheel of it. But there's a completely different experience where you're trying to use a photograph to sort of capture that energy or that. I think they're very similar, actually. The the driving part and the uh, the photography part. You know, some cars, like up until recently, we had a '53 Packard. And the way you drive a car like the Packard compared to the Jaguar we have in our garage right now, are completely different. And they're very different cars. And I would photograph them very differently because one is more stately and elegant and slow, and the Jaguar is a little more about speed and style. And and that's kind of how you translate. Uh, I I don't usually photograph cars as much as I photograph impressions of cars. Mm. And I think. Uh, I think that's where my work is different from some of the other really great car photographers, like my buddy Paul Peregrine, who's just a beautiful stylist. His wheels are perfectly round because he shoots them with a view camera. That's something I don't even think about. I don't care <laughs> whether I use a wide-angle lens and the wheels are kind of, you know, elliptical, uh, or if I wind up uh, working on them in Photoshop to create a completely different look for the car, like my picture of uh, Michael Schumacher winning the uh, U.S. Grand Prix a couple of years ago. Well, it's pouring rain, so really gives. I think the photograph says a lot about the the my impression of the day mm-hmm. more than the car. So I think the. The cars themselves usually talk to me and tell me, you know, the, the, what they want. Silly as that sounds. With some of the the shots that I, that I saw on your website, it looks like you're you're using the existing light, which I know is can be a particular challenge, and, and why a lot of people who do car photography often do it in the in the studio because it provides sure. them complete control over over lighting. Um, why do you prefer working the way that, that that you do, and what are some of the challenges that you have to meet in terms of being able to adequately photograph a car that way? I think uh, one thing, the why I do it, I think, is speed and time. Uh, lots of time. Sometimes you give a little control. If you look at the Jeffrey shoots car site, there's a photograph of uh, five Chevrolets. There are two 56s, two 57s, and a 
1901 Corvette that were photographed outdoors at dusk at an outdoor museum. And when you're working with that large number of cars, uh, doing it in the studio would be, it was hard enough to do it as it was, but doing it in the studio would have been difficult. So I shot it outdoors. We got permission from the museum to be able to shoot it when they were closed, so we had really nice lighting. And, uh, and so in that case, there's the speed. That was shot for a client, so, so it, was a, it was actually a gift for the person whose cars uh, they were from his uh, girlfriend. Other times, uh, if you're shooting on an assignment, as I did for various car magazines, such as Modified, uh, those are done on location, uh, and they they like to see cars in an environment. We, we did a Nissan Skyline that was taken up. I took it up to Red Rocks Park outside of Denver. The car was white. I thought with the Red Rocks, we shot it early. It would look, it would give us some contrast. It look really interesting, so we could work quick because we had to do a lot of pictures because we were doing it multi-page spread for the magazine and also the magazine requires that some shots be made uh, with the car in motion so I had one of his crew members drive my car uh, and I hung out the window that was great and unsafe <laughs> the way a lot of people do it is in the back of pickup trucks is I think it's still unsafe uh, but uh, and we shot forward and backward. We chased them and then we followed them. But the main thing in doing those kind of shots, in case anyone's interested, we do them very at slow speeds. And they're shot at 30 miles an hour, 35 miles an hour, not at speed, and using slow shutter speeds to produce the kind of motion that looks like the car is really ripping. Hmm. So that's one way to maximize uh, the safety aspects is you're really not going that fast. Now the other thing about uh, shooting cars is it shows where there's where you have no control over the lighting at all, and usually you can't set up a tripod even on on mo some the major car shows in the U.S. have uh, press days where you can get in and use a tripod. But at the same time, you're still dealing with uh, problems of mixed lighting sources, and so sometimes I I work that different ways. Uh, Sometimes I'm able to get it corrected in camera using um, a white card, just doing a custom white balance. Other times I can correct it in Photoshop. And then other times I don't worry about it and actually make the play of colors uh, work for me. There's a shot of a Viper. I don't know if it's on my site or not. And I, the, the was shot at the International Auto Salon in Los Angeles. And... What I did was, they had different colored lights playing on it, and it was a silver car. And sometimes it would be, they would run purple lights, the lights were constantly changing. Sometimes it would be magenta lights, and sometimes it would be blue. And I shot multiple times, multiple exposures. Then I wound up doing a multiple exposure of a car by flipping it horizontal, so it looked like there were two cars that were two different colors. Again, it was really an impression of the car. Mm. Uh, rather than a literal telling of this was a silver viper at a show because you'd never know it was silver. But you would know it's a viper. And so I guess those are the three. They're the challenges. I'd like to work quickly because sometimes you have to. I mean, this the reality of the situation is you have to work quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I guess basically it's also has to do with my style, my way of working is 
shoot a whole lot of pictures really fast. Well, one of the things that a lot of people uh, are kind of interested in, in is in getting published. And you noted earlier, you know, the fact that you were writing articles. And I think that's really sort of important for people who are starting out to consider is the fact that, you know, if you're able to write about something that you know well and mm-hmm. take photographs, your chances of getting your images published, you know, increased probably exponentially as a result. Sure, how I did, think so. I, how did it start for you in terms of, you know... Well, in, in the case of this, this first, this, these first stories, uh, I got asked by the... Uh, the editor who knew I was going to some of these races because we were racing them uh, to shoot the, the, some photos and could I write some task, text? Now here's the interesting part of that whole thing. I was thinking about this when you were asking me a question. I got paid zero, <laughs> nothing to do this. And you know, I, it never once occurred to me to ask him when he asked me to do the story, well, how much are you going to pay me? I was so excited to be able to do it both shoot the pictures and uh, write the story that I never even thought about the price and what, 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 how much money I would make doing it. I think with us, that's the best thing for for small markets is to go after small markets they pay a little or nothing. Mm-hmm. Because lots of times, if in order to get press credentials to a lot of the big shows where you can get some fantastic photographs of very incredible show cars, you need to have published tear sheets and having pub, even if the the publications were didn't pay you anything, it doesn't really matter. They, the organizers of shows like the Detroit Auto Show, the North American Show, the New York Show, they'll or especially the SEMA Show, which is probably the strictest show, the hardest show to get in. And every year, I have to show them lots of credentials and tear sheets just to be recertified for that show. Mm. Uh, by showing them, hey, look, I, not only can I take pictures of cars, I can take really good pictures of cars. Look, 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 here's examples of my work. And uh, I think then once you get in there, you also get the chance to meet people. The way I met the people at Modified was uh, my wife and I were at the International Auto Salon in Los Angeles, same place I shot the Viper, and I was photographing a Porsche Boxster at the time, and Mary was standing around. These two guys walk up to Mary and say, hey, he, he looks like he knows what he's doing. Uh, uh, and Is he a professional photographer? And they're then talking to me. They're talking to Mary. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, yeah. Well, here's our card. Tell them uh, to contact us. We'd like to talk to them. Well, they didn't even see any of my pictures. They just saw me working. But if I hadn't been at the show, if I hadn't gone through, jumped through the hoops of, of having care sheets and what have you, I would have never been there to have the opportunity to, to get publications that would pay me to photograph cars. Hmm. So it's kind of a cycle. You have, you have to jump in and, and just go for it, you know? And that's funny. And just look like you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny thing. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it because I didn't even know this was going on. I was, see, what, well, the way I shoot, uh, and one of the reasons I, I shoot fast is that... I tend to like get on the floor, get in twisty positions, and you know stand on my head and, and get into very odd positions. And my guess is uh, that's what attracted his attention. One of, one of my favorite stories. This is so true. It's kind of a warm moment for me. We were at a local car show, which I, I photograph local car shows too for fun. And I was photographing a hot rod, and uh, right. After I finished, I'm like bent upside down and shooting this thing from the front. And these two guys walk up to me and they said, 
uh, are you an artist? <laughs> and I was like puzzled. I really didn't know how to answer that question. And he, he saw that expression on my face. He because I never saw anyone photograph a car like that. And I said, well, I guess I am. And that was my answer to that. But again, it was, I just wasn't standing there and saying, uh-huh, here's a car. It's a really pretty car. I'm going to push the button and now I'll have a picture of it. Well, I don't want a picture of it. I want to catch its essence, to catch an impression of it. Mm-hmm. One of the things, I, 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 I'm occasion have shot cars, and, you know, for me, it's fairly easy to, to shoot the exterior of the car, you know, because I'm often, oftentimes responding to the shape and the color and the play of light. But one of the things I always find difficult is, is shooting the interior of some of these cars, yeah. especially some of these vintage cars. And I'm really, I really respond to, to the interior, but I'm always at a loss at how to, how to really, you know, sort of capture what I'm feeling when I'm looking at the interior. What, how do you, how do you do that? One of the, uh, there are some parts of this that are all technical. And when we talk about racing, mm-hmm. especially, and we talk about interiors as compared to exteriors, you're talking about lights. There's no other way around it is you've got to put light in there because, especially if the interior is black, if it's interior is black, you really have to put a lot of lights in there. I like to work with uh, single or multiple uh, just shoe mount units, uh, Canon, because I use Canon digital cameras for the most part, and uh, those can be tripped by... Uh, because they can be slaved together, and one can trip the other without having any wires. Mm-hmm. They use Stofen diffusers. Are you familiar with those? Oh, yeah. S-P-O-F-E-N? Mm-hmm. These are wonderful devices, little domes they fit on the end of your flash. But they provide a big 360-degree kind of a bare bulb look to the interiors and other things, too. But they're especially good in interiors where you can uh, put them inside and have it light up and have it soft instead of... Uh, if you just go in it with a flash, it's going to look ugly too. If you're going to get some things that are going to be well lit, the other things are going to be an extreme shadow. It's just going to be a mess. Uh, so working with one or two uh, lights with uh, big, powerful shoe mount flashes with stuff and diffusers really, really helps. A lot depends on how much ambient light is, whether you're working indoors at a show where it's really a problem, or outdoors where you got some daylight for fill. Um, when I shoot, when I shoot uh, for magazines, I usually I find that the two flashes will do it. Really, as far as most most contemporary cars, if I was going to shoot classic cars indoors, I would want to bring in lights, interiors, not exteriors. Yeah, how's how's digital changed your way of, of photographing cars, and and how has that in, uh, improved it, nor or made it different? I think it's improved. It. I really think that's the number one thing, and that would have been my answer to you before you even said improve it. It enabled me to shoot more, and I think that when you think about it, every time I push this button, it costs me money. Uh, and then, and, geez, and if I bracket now, I have to. That costs me more money. Uh, I think that being able to see right away where you are. Especially when it comes to like color balance indoors, but even outdoors. I mean, photographing white cars and black cars outdoors are so different. I mean, they get the same sunlight falling on them, but they're, they're like night and day, literally, as far as exposures and stuff. And so, 
being able to take a look at a histogram and make some evaluations, that, that, that has a big difference. But also not just being able to shoot multiple angles and take chances that you wouldn't take before. And I think that's where my style really took off more uh, than with film was the ability to, to put myself into weird positions and angles to shoot pictures that maybe they look like heck. Uh, but they gave me ideas which fed other ideas, which fed good pictures. And, and I think that, you know, you have to shoot all the bad pictures out of you in a given photographic situation in order to get to the ideal shot for that particular situation. Yeah, because I really like it. So I think it. it's really helped that way. Yeah, I really liked it about a lot of your images, particularly your, your use of the extreme wide angle in some of those shots, which is something I would immediately come to mind when thinking about photographing cars, but they add a, a quite a dynamism to to the, the shot and, and to the interpretation of the car, which is great. I tend to like to be really wide or really long with cars. When I shot the skyline at Red Rocks, I was shooting it with a 300. So then I could put it in contact with the, with the rocks. Uh, it shows wide angles are just a good idea just in general because the closer you get the car, the less chance that someone's going to walk in front of you. <laughs> so that's, that's really handy. So uh, I think maybe your style evolves from some of those elements of re- reality. And, uh, oh, there's a guy in my shot. But I like, I've always liked wide-angle lenses for everything, and I have a whole bunch of wide-angle lenses. And In fact, one of my favorite techniques is uh, I started doing this a couple of years ago was photographing cars in digital infrared. Hmm. And I, got, uh, I bought a uh, Russian 16-millimeter lens and uh, put it on my camera that uh, was a Canon D60 that was converted for use was total infrared only. And I set it at the hyperfocal distance. I don't even focus it because it's a magnifocused lens. So I set it at the hyperfocal distance for F16, put the camera on F16, aperture preferred, and just and just shoot. It's like a it's a, like a digital infrared point and shoot camera. Wow. And I was able to produce some really great results with it with a 16 millimeter. Uh, and, and of course, then you get some, get, and then I get get close, and you wind up with distortion and all that. And to me, that's part of what I do. It's part of the impression of the car. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I also see that you do is you, you've written, I think, well over twenty books, and God knows how many uh, magazines. Twenty. Articles. Actually, I'm starting on my twenty ninth. Twenty ninth. Right now. Oh my God. Yeah. And they. They've... This is going to be a fun book, actually. There, some of them are fun. Some of them are more fun than others. And in, are you are you the one who's primarily pitching these books at this point, or are they approaching you? How does that work? Um, in the beginning, and this is like way back when I did my first. Well, actually, I did my first book. My first couple books were actually for the computer industry. My first book was on the Mac and was published in 1985, which really goes mm. back in, in the Mac lore days. Um, but in the beginning, I would pitch ideas. And they almost always rejected them. And uh, finally, I would I would find the publishers would say, you know, we really don't like your ideas, but we really like you. Uh, you know, would you be interested in doing a book on this topic? And I would say that of of the twenty nine books I've done, I'm looking at them on the shelf here right now. Um, 
I would say two of them <laughs> were my idea. Mm. The rest were their ideas. Sometimes they were my ideas that a year or two later became the publisher's idea, and then it really was a good idea. <laughs> I think that's happened a couple of times, too. Uh, but uh, but that's okay, because usually it's their idea. But So it, the thing, with, it's very much similar to getting published in, in, in magazines. Is that you have to be persistent. You have to uh, continually present ideas, even if the ideas even if they don't like the ideas, don't take it personally when they reject you. They're rejecting the idea. They're not rejecting you. And um, the publishers usually have a pretty good handle on what people will buy. Like I've been trying to pitch a book on how to photograph cars for four or five years. Nobody is interested in that book because mm. <laughs> they don't think it will sell. But uh, it's my dream someday to do to do that book. There are two British books on photographing cars, and both of them are fairly new books. I mean, last couple of years, but none of of them address digital photography as hard as it is to believe that. Really, but. Uh, uh, the publishers, both of car books and of photography books, just don't see it as a big enough market. So there's the commercial realities of of the book business. Yeah. But it's this current book was an outgrowth of my IR book, uh, the complete guide to digital infrared photography, which I did for Lark Books, and I got to talking with the publisher about some other book ideas, or what she hated. And she said, you know, we'd really like to do a book on alternative processes and how to do digital equivalents like the digital version of a gum bichromate or a pintype or daguerreotype even and how to do that digitally, those effects. And that's kind of what my new book is going to be oh, about. Oh, that should be really interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I know there's a lot of interest in that because there's, there's a variety of different softwares that are out there now yeah. emulate the, the look of film like, uh, was it uh, yeah, Skin's become- Exposure? Is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like that product a lot. You know, that would be kind of the tip of the iceberg. We'll get into some other things, uh, like the Jesus um, Drew Blink uh, Rome oil process, which was a process in where the emulsion was transferred to a paper, and then it was brushed. Then inks were brushed on with boar's hair brushes. Uh, onto the onto the surface of this paper that had the emulsion and it was uh, just an amazing process to see happen. And one of the masters of this was a guy named Eddie Bafford who uh, lived in Baltimore and where I grew up. And I watched him do that. and I was fascinated with it. And 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 in this book, I'm finally going to show how to create that kind of effect using you know digital tools instead of. Boar's hair brushes. You know what's really interesting about that is the whole idea that that, that that digital seems to be making a progression from being just one way to create a picture and and opening up a whole new window of interpreting an image. That really the image that you capture in your camera is really just the starting point. That you can do so much more than just you know, just contrast and color in order to get you know yes. a perfect shot. But now you have the ability to really just take it anywhere you want. With much anywhere, more yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's true, and I think it's become very liberating in that fact because it's non-destructive. I, mean, I think that's the thing is that 
okay, your, your original file stored somewhere else. Now we're working with another copy of your file, and it doesn't really matter what you do to it. And if you, even if you screw it up, uh, you know, you can just keep making changes and making changes. And uh, I think that's part of the joy of, of digital photography is, is Kai Krauss, and I don't know if you know him, he was the inventor of Kai's power tools, once said that inside every picture there's a thousand other pictures. And, you know, there's ways these two software to to pull all of those out of there. Yeah. Well, you write a, a variety of different articles in, in the various uh, magazines like Shutterbug and, and such. But one of the article, uh, columns that you regularly do is when you uh, focus on, on websites. And yeah, it's really called web profiles. Yeah, and I really love uh, the insight that you bring into into uh, into that, how, about, how important they are. And by pointing out you know, sites that are really, really good. Um, how important is a website to a photographer, w whether they're an amateur or a, a professional photographer? And what, what are some of the key things to, to think of when, when you're designing your page? I think that uh, no matter, if you're a photographer who really cares if anybody knows who you are, if you're an amateur photographer, you, you have to have a website. If you're a professional, you have to have multiple websites. If you have multiple specialties, my my friend Barry uh, Staver has uh, he does corporate work, but he also likes to photograph high end weddings. At the, so, but some of his clients on, on the corporate side they don't see those two as compatible. So you had to have two separate sites, one that could just for the wedding photographer. Just like I have a site just for cars. There, if you go to JoeForRace.com, there is no there are no cars on JoeForRace.com, but there's a link to take you to JoeForRace's cars. I also have a travel site because I like to do travel photography. So I created JoeForRaceTravels.com. And that's full of, it's a very simple little site. It, it, it has some of my travel images on it. And uh, it's important for credibility for publications. If you want to work for publications, uh, you need to be able to show the variety of your work. If you're looking to pitch to clients, commercial clients, you need to be able to show them the same kind of variety. If you, uh, so the, the design of the website is as far as for photographers, you know, you need to be able to tell them who you are and what you do. And the best way to tell them about what you do is to show them how, how you do things and show them the kind of work that you do. Uh, so, but the biggest problem with websites is a lot of photographers want to do it themselves. This is a great idea if you have the time. I don't have the time. Mm -hmm. And even so, I have someone do it for me. But, uh, a blog is also another good idea. You didn't mention blogs, but I think uh, that's something I don't have, and I see a lot of photographers who have that these days, and uh, I think that's a great idea to have a blog where you can put, like, a photo of the day, a photo of the week, where you're saying, this is kind of what I'm doing right now, so it's kind of a visual diary, you know, with some text and the photograph showing what kind of projects you're working on right now. That's kind of my goal when I get back from PMA, mm -hmm. uh, which is next week, uh, to get started on. Uh, setting up a blog that would uh, let me show the different kinds of things that I'm working on, uh, both for the publishers and also for for readers who are curious about what am I doing right now. Yeah, like one of the things that I do notice about some sites that people are doing themselves is oftentimes they just have way too many images on on the site. Yes, and it's yeah, it's like you get lost, and then then you can't get back, and then this makes them hard to navigate. Uh, it's kind of a balancing act between having too few images and and uh, 
too many. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Goldilocks. You got to have the right, the right amount, the just right in the middle. Uh, web profile is a good place to start. You can go online to thesharebug.com and look at my past web profiles columns. And I spend a lot of time digging up uh, those sites, and I look for sites all over the world, not just uh, U.S. photographers. But I found a photographer who. I found the first female photographer who was working in photojournalism in the United Arab Emirates, which is certainly unusual to say the least. Mm -hmm. The uh, a fashion photographer in India, whose site was just breathtaking, and and also uh, I found a wedding photographer in in, in Australia who, who was a female photographer. Just incredible work. I think it helps to see other people's work to both to, for inspiration because a lot of these people would never get published. So by that's one of the things that the, the website brings to the photographer is the ability to self-publish your work for the world to see. You know, I would not. I, I've I've made a really good friend of a, a photographer who works in the movie industry as a result of web profiles. I I would just fell in love with his website, and 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 we became pretty good friends as a result. I met some other people that face to face as a result of of, of doing research on web profiles, hmm. because the, these guys whose work are very familiar. Like my friend Ralph Nelson, this great website you should go see RalphNelson.com. Uh, he's photographed some of the iconic films such as Top Gun and Star Wars and films like that, as well as more contemporary movies. Uh, he has a very his pictures are seen a lot by people, but they don't know it, and they don't know it's him. And I think that that's what uh, the websites do. They say, "Okay, hey, look, look at me, world." Look what I can do, and I think if you are serious about photography, you want to have your work appreciated, and the web is the best place to do that. Yeah, it's your it's your calling card. You know, yeah, it really it's is. better than a calling card because it's it can move, it can make sounds as my my car site does, uh, and it uh, and it can be changed as as you change. And that's the most important thing. The TheJoeFrace.com, that is the fourth iteration of that site. Yeah. Um, and each one was radically different than the one before it. I think one of the challenges of, of, of a website is, is maintaining it. How important is, uh, is it to, in terms of just changing images or sort of updating them so it isn't just you know the same, the same site that it was when it was first created? Yeah, th that is a constant battle. Uh, for me, even though I'm paying somebody to do it, it's a matter of getting them motivated to do it. And I make sure that, like, if a new book comes out, uh, that that's on the website, that the new picture is on there from time to time. Uh, I try to update it once a year, but I know that's not even good enough. Uh, if I had my druthers, I would have quarterly updates. That's really where I think the, the blog really is, is it works as a great supplement to your uh, photographic website. Having a photographic blog, you can have daily updates that you can do without a whole lot of um, pain and keep keep the little story short about the picture how you, how you made it what you did and, mm -hmm. uh, and so i think the blog is is really as important as a website as an adjunct uh, to your website well, the last question I, I ask is I ask for my guests to recommend or suggest another photographer for uh, our listeners to go, go and explore. So who would that be for you and why? Another photographer whose work they should look at? Yeah. Boy, that's a really great question you have there. 
you know, I think of all my friends like Ralph Nelson or Barry Stave or people like that. But, uh, you know, I, I, what I really think is important is photographers who are forgotten. And um, so I'd like to first suggest J. Frederick Smith. Okay. Uh, J. Frederick Smith, was, uh, he's deceased. He died last November. Uh, his passing was scarcely noticed uh, in the press and the media. But yet in the 70s, uh, he was uh, just an incredible uh, a glamour photographer. If I can jump onto this one more time uh, and add another name, it would be Peter Gowland. Oh, if you look, yeah, Peter. Peter Gowland is still alive, and he's an elderly gentleman is in his 80s, a sweet, wonderful man who lives in Santa Monica. He has a website. His website is worth visiting because it tells has a picture of him as a baby uh, in his parents were actors and his mother was also a film director she was the one of the first female silent film directors and there's a picture of him as a baby in one of her silent films and this is this is a wonderful story about a wonderful man and his and his wife uh who really were pioneers. So I, w I would also, if I can, add Peter Gallen's name to that as well as J. Frederick Smith. Oh, well, thanks for those suggestions. That's, that's fantastic. And thank you for making the time to, to join us on the show. It's, it's, I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, I did too. It's great talking to you. I hope to see you soon. Well, thanks again for joining me. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Till next time, this is Ivarian X. Perella, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.